This is Risky Women Radio, a show to connect, celebrate and champion women in risk, regulation and compliance. Sharing insight and perspective from the most influential members of our global Risky Women Network on the latest developments we need to think about, the challenges we should all talk more about and the innovation we are most excited about in governance, risk and compliance. Bringing together the hundreds of senior women professionals already connected with a new emerging group of leading women and men. I'm Kimberly Cole, your Chief Risky Woman. Welcome to Risky Woman, Barbara Leach Walters. Barbara is the founding and managing director of Berkshire Holdings Limited, an independent regulatory consultant. Barbara has over 20 years of experience in the financial services industry, most recently as Senior Vice President and Head of Compliance Asia Pacific for State Street, based in Hong Kong, here with me. She previously held roles at GE Capital London, the UK Financial Services Authority and RBS in both London and Asia offices. She spanned financial risk, regulatory affairs, compliance, AML, conduct risk, ethics, and product advisory, and she's worked in banks, industry forums, and with regulators across Asia, UK, EMEA, and the US. So we have a lot to cover today. So welcome, Barbara. Oh, thanks very much for inviting me here today. I'm delighted to be part of the Risky Women and looking forward to our conversation. Fantastic. Um, Let's start with your career, because everyone's always interested in people's career journeys. Uh, One of the things that I thought was really interesting uh, was that you actually qualified with a Bachelor of Science in Engineering and went on um, now to span a whole range of different uh, roles in compliance and risk. So tell us more about, you know, from, from that qualification to where you are now. Well, I mean, one of the things that I talk to younger people about is the fact that um, if you think you have a plan, forget it, because (laughs) a lot of it doesn't end up being a plan. Um, But what I would say that all the way going through is, you you know, there there are core fundamental things that as an individual you know that are are in your wheelhouse and are your, your you know key skills that you have and certainly from it from uh, an engineering perspective you know what I learned and took away there was was teamwork um, the value of, of frameworks um, uh, you know being unafraid of technology being used to the numbers the the value of data complex um, structures so those are those are things actually all the way through my career that that I've had as interests uh, and yes, they, they, they did start in, in that area. Um, I started in, um, my first job after I graduated was in the oil industry uh, in Calgary. Uh, and you know, moved from there into um, uh, finance and you know, working and focusing on, on oil and gas analytics. And then from there, um, you know, progressed through many many areas of finance. Um, so so I've uh, I have done uh, a lot of different things, um, and and really what I I hope to show as as we talk today is is actually the importance of um, from a risk perspective having a lot of those experiences in a lot of different areas. Yeah, I think it's very interesting in terms of you know what skills we think that we need 
uh, for the future. And I've heard some really interesting stories, even speaking with, you know, academics at some of the institutions where we have big finance labs. They're talking about people who have um, creative and artistic skills also then learning more about data and technology so that they can bring their creativity to visualization of tools and things like that. So I think it's very interesting your perspective on what those skills, frameworks, technology, data and structures sort of gave to you. I mean, what more do you think in the future for sort of this, what do we need from a compliance um, skill set? What, what's that future going to look like? Well, um, I mean, you're catching me at a great time there because I've been to two events over over the last week. Um, one f- focused on fintech, one focused on regtech. Um, really, just to get up to date with with what the conversations are, um, and it's a very exciting time period. Uh, what we what we are seeing here is um, the challenges that. Uh, banks and financial institutions are seeing on the the fintech side strategically uh, and how compliance and risk are going to need to react to that. Uh, And and interestingly, we're also seeing reg tech, which is, um, you know, at its most basic, just how to do the the, um, boring things um, more easily and much more quickly uh, using uh, AI or or various big data and analytics techniques. So so it's an exciting time out there right now. Terrific. So I'm sure we're going to weave all over the place, but, um, you know, back more to a bit on on your career because you you've You've worked across geographies, you've worked across several different industries, and as we said, um, in both uh, financial institutions as well as, you know, with uh, regulators and other areas. So can you tell me a bit about, you know, what have some of the biggest challenges been and and how have you sort of uh, decided to cut a path through some of those challenges and make some decisions on your career? Sure. I, I, I mean, you know, just starting, uh, starting from the most basic, when I was working in investment banking uh, as early in my career, um, I'd put in my time uh, supporting deals, doing a lot of late nights, uh, ready for my next stage of, of formal education and wanted some um, geographic uh, exposure as well. So I made the decision to go to the UK to do my MBA at London Business School. Um, uh, that, that, again, you know, I always sit there and say, it's not what you learn, it's actually who you're learning it with. And the exposure to the different nationalities, the group work, um, the uh, different ways of thinking, uh, uh, living away from your from your native country was one of the most um, you know defining experiences, uh, and and certainly um, you know uh, opened up a whole new world for me. Fantastic. Now you've worked across some very large institutions from Royal Bank of Scotland, GE Capital, and most recently at State Street, where you had compliance oversight across. Uh, the regional business lines, including global services, global markets, global operations, global exchange, investment management services, and the alternative investment um, solutions. So what were the key areas that, you know, were, I guess, top of the agenda, main focus areas um, in that role? I mean, one of the one of the big challenges in, in compliance these days is 
is about um, managing your resource and making sure that you're um, focusing uh, on the on the right issues that you've got your um, base level framework and compliance policies in place uh, and you know as most of us though would say the biggest the biggest thing that uh, banks are focusing on these days is is a AML uh, and financial crime and ensuring that the uh, policies, procedures, uh, and and monitoring and surveillance uh, is appropriate to, to cover those risks. Yeah, and I definitely want to come back to um, more on AML and financial crime. Um, you, you are also Vice Chair of the Compliance Committee for ASIFMA, or the Asia Securities Industry and Financial Markets Association since 2015. Um, as an industry body, is it the same focus around AML and you know financial crime, or there are broader um, priorities that the that the industry bodies are looking at? Yeah, I mean, I mean it's a, a very topical question. Um, I think uh, ASIFMA is very supportive across a number of different subject areas. Um, I think AML gets its own committee, to be fair, mm-hmm. uh, and certainly for the. Uh, the the separate compliance committee, which is 25 uh, approximately of the biggest financial institutions here based out of Hong Kong, um, what we see is is a wide variety. Um, It enables us as an industry group to, um, you know, work uh, and and establish relationships uh, on a regular basis with HKMA and SFC. Um, and to therefore then be able to influence and provide industry uh, viewpoint to policy and uh, development that might be um, it, you know on um, outsourcing uh, as a as a policy you know what's required what what is covering the risk what's not covering the risk what do the banks think you know uh, are there particular issues that uh, banks are having with respect to cost uh, of, of interpretation uh, you know and and really enabling that dialogue um, I think as well what's exciting is that uh, we're, we're expanding it uh, what we're seeing is is increased engagement from Singapore and and a lot of interest there now in Singapore to uh, be working more broadly uh, across APAC. Uh, and I think that you know it, it it is an organization that that started off as a as a small kernel um, before I even arrived in Hong Kong uh, as a lovely group of people who would get together for brown bag lunches um, to compare how um, uh, you know and what people were working on and you know to see it move and and grow and develop into you know a formal industry force is is just a fantastic accomplishment for for that group. I also think increasingly we kind of need more collaboration, more sharing. Um, and if you look at some of the most recent figures around uh, financial crime, um, like from the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crimes, in 2011, we're talking, um, it was estimated that 1% of illicit financial flows are seized and frozen by authorities. So I guess there's increasing focus on how we can address that. I mean, from your perspective, um, 
is enough being done to drive sort of collaboration across institutions, sharing information, sharing best practice? And especially in Asia, where maybe some of the challenges are, are different or we need a different focus. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think the, the data uh, and data sharing is is a big challenge for a lot of organizations. Um, clearly, different countries have different requirements. Um, they are not consistent. As we all know, working here, Asia is not one single um, uh, country unit. It is not one single uh, legal body. Uh, it, um, my old colleagues got so sick of me telling them that, you know, each country was different um, because from an operational perspective, clearly that introduces cost. Yeah. And what we, um, what we're all uh, aiming for is to um, enable processes that um, don't overburden the consumer, don't overburden the corporates, but still enable, um, you know, straightforward engagement with law enforcement, with uh, regulatory bodies, um, in order to reduce the financial crime. You know, it, it, there's a there's a very human face um, to this issue. Um, you know, it it is related to drug trafficking. It is related to human trafficking uh, and all sorts of other terrible things. Yes. Uh, so you know, clearly as a, a corporate uh, social responsibility, this is very very high priority for all of all of the organizations. And given your um, your recent interactions around fintech and regtech. Was there any kind of interesting technology ideas that are coming out in that space uh, to, to help us, you know, fight the financial crime? Oh, I was so excited. I mean, like seriously, yes. If I had um, my my ability, my checkbook out, um, there were there's some uh, great uh, development in that area. Um, what we uh, what we see is the ability to. Um, Onboard, onboard clients uh, and do all the checks that are required across um, multiple data streams, uh, you know, various providers saying that they can do it in three minutes. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I've got a child that's heading off to university and yesterday I spent a very long time, multiple hours, opening up a bank account. Uh, so, so it, uh, which was highly amusing, given that the night before I was being promised I could do it in three minutes. So, so clearly, there's a lot of um, a, a lot of scope for improvement there. Uh, secondly, on the enforcement side, as we start to move into um, uh, you know, data sharing and understanding data. The fact that you can do um, transaction analysis using some of the big data techniques in a way that enables you to very easily see um, rootings and, and any misdemeanors, um, that, that too is a huge, huge development. And, and these sorts of things, if I take you back to the um, enforcements related to FX and, and LIBOR, um, those, those enforcements required organizations to submit terabytes of, of data. Um, and you know, certainly you know, that, that's really where big data starts to, to make a difference. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's some really exciting and interesting things going on uh, in the fintech and the reg tech space that's going to really transform the way things are done. Um, some of what you mentioned as well, um, I think sort of takes us to this whole idea around accountability and conduct and ethics, especially FX, LIBOR, all of those scandals that came out. We had our um, regulatory summit in Singapore last week and uh, the senior bankers in Asia were sort of asked what does contact, conduct risk mean uh, for their business operations and you know all of the all of the delegates certainly thought that management accountability was essential around improving conduct um, you know there's been a lot of focus from the asian regulators they've placed more and more emphasis on the importance of conduct risk um, but really still haven't proved uh, haven't provided a definitive explanation of what what it means and so some of the you know, lack of clarity is meaning that banks are in the region are forming their own views about conduct risk and how it should be defined in the context of their business organisations um, and also coming up with their own governance procedures. So what's your perspective on how the industry is trying to define what it means and how, the, how can we really build accountability around conduct? Sure. Um, look, I, th I think that... Uh, I will caveat that by saying that most of the regulators around the world will say um, this is uh, additional um, fill-in guidance. Uh, we've always expected good conduct. We've always had expectations for um, how this is to be delivered. And, and when I'm doing training, um, I often sit there and say, well, you know, you all know what bad conduct is. Um, you, you know, so it, it's almost easier to define it in the in the reverse uh, than in the positive. But the what what banks uh, and and financial institutions are, are struggling with is um, metrics and measurement, as opposed to um, you know implementation mm. of good conduct. So so it's the it's the space of decisioning. How do I how do I evidence um, what what am I looking to evidence and you know is that evidence box ticking or is it really effective evidence so you know that's where the definitely where the challenge is uh, in the in the um, uh, overall development though of of culture and conduct um, you know it is. Is, you know, simply further developments from uh, the impacts of, of the financial crisis. Uh, you know, when people uh, went in, uh, you know, and and were doing the follow-ups on on the various enforcement cases. You know, they, the the things that they came across when they started listening to every tape and reading every email really um, were eye-opening to people. Uh, and you know, so therefore, reinforce the need to um, uh, verify as opposed to trust, um, and and that was the big, that definitely the big change. But if I think back to um, you know the early days uh, uh, when I was working in the regulator and with the Bank of England, um, I don't think that this would. Um, be any different from expectations at that time. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Um, 
so generally do you think there's sort of best practice areas um, from who owns the conduct risk policy, who's accountable for implementing it, um, where the, the leadership is taking this? I mean, what are the, what are the things there that you're seeing of who's doing it well, so to speak? Sure, and and I think that um, uh, you know your uh, Thomson Reuters uh, analysis was was very interesting on that on that case. I mean, uh, you know when you look at uh, an analysis that has a broad spread of people who own conduct risk, well, it's really owned by everybody. That should be the easy answer, and yet there's a lot of different views that the board owns it, or frankly, even compliance owns it. <laughs> but I, you know, I do, um, I do come across that, like, you know, just because it's a regulation doesn't mean that compliance owns it. And if compliance ran the bank, um, uh, you know, in in my rules, I would have been paid a lot more. Um, <laughs> so, so you know, clearly there's a. Uh, a broad um, ownership needed for that and a broad recognition of that that is the case. Um, and a lot of the banks uh, and financial institutions have been working on, um, you know, en- enablement policies to make that clear, um, better engagement with their staff, um, starting to change remuneration systems to have a, a, a risk um, score within it accountability score within it um, so that so that people recognize the importance yeah it's interesting because um, at the at the summit in Singapore 36 percent of participants said that poor leadership and lack of accountability led to bad bad conduct outcomes uh, 31 percent indicated that a strong emphasis on incentives drove the wrong kind of behavior leading to poor customer outcomes um, and this suggests that executive accountability is a decisive factor in ensuring proper conduct and better outcomes for consumers as well. So, I mean, let's talk a bit more about what's the link between accountability and risk? Uh, Because certainly we've seen some, you know, pretty bad outcomes for for business, whether it's just reputational risk or um, in in many cases, fines. Um, Sure. So I think that the uh, expectations of you know the the regulatory system um, policy and framework is always that you know the accountability is there. Mm-hmm. Um, the focus on um, uh, hard coding that right now is because actually um, the outcome was that the um, the regulators when it came to enforcement actually weren't able to get that accountability to land in the place that they believed the accountability should land. Um, I, I think that uh, you know, we have seen uh, you know, a variety of different types of models of accountability there. Um, you have uh, obviously the SMR regime that's, that started off the hard coding of that um, within the UK. Um, you've had the implementation here in the SFC of uh, a manager in charge regime, um, you know, a bit more right-sized. Uh, and you see the bear uh, uh, consultations taking place uh, and implementation starting in Australia as well. And obviously uh, in Singapore, um, uh, you know, in, uh, HKMA has had this regime for some time. 
uh, and they are reminding institutions about that. So, so it's very topical, um, it, you know, and it, I think it ties in very nicely with the um, parallel focus on governance and, and it, how, how your organization works, who owns what, clean handoffs, clear accountability. And I think that it, it's really just about, um, uh, you know, uh, housekeeping uh, in some ways, because this should be there already. Um, uh, but, you know, the, the additional policy and implementation of it just makes it more clear. Now, um, it, you know, the immediate reaction of the first line Profit owners, uh, you know, is, you know, I have so much to do on this. I don't have time to do my job. Um, you know, and there is concern there. There's, there's concern about um, at the the actual accountability, the liability, the director's liability. Um, but you know, clearly, if you're doing your job, if you're delivering what you should be delivering to the best of your abilities, um, there should be nothing to worry about. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting as well because, uh, you know, the fines are always brought up as well. So, you know, the statistics are that, you know, since the 2009 financial crisis, financial institutions have paid regulators uh, fee, uh, fines uh, reaching $345 billion according to BCG, um, and that's only up until the end of uh, 2017. Um, and, you know, this is fines that have been... Uh, meted out for money laundering, rate manipulation, mis-selling products, negligent financial advice, failure of managed funds, um, resulting in investor losses, overcharging fees, and obviously we're seeing a lot of these things brought up um, during the Royal Commission in Australia at the moment, which you've got to think of, you know, far more widespread than maybe what we're seeing. Um, and then executives at organisations, you know, in many cases have really not been seen to be held accountable. You know, most of them have kept their jobs or received golden handshakes. I mean, recently we've seen boards, you know, step down in Australia, for example. But, um, you know, are the fines effective or are we still effectively just rewarding what is often pretty unethical behaviour? You know, I, I'm quite conscious that I'm sitting here in Thomson Reuters right now, um, given that I'm about to sit there and say, but the press doesn't know everything. <laughs> um, so, so there are um, lots of uh, penalties that have been handed out that do not um, reach the public arena. There are careers that get impacted. There are. Um, uh, you know, decisions that are made about viability of a person uh, leading a particular organization or whether uh, and how their um, further work in the financial uh, industry will be supported or not. Um, there is sharing between uh, countries in terms of, of uh, references uh, related to outcomes of internal investigations. So, so uh, you know, it, there is definitely a, a broader range than you know, the formal press release uh, announcements that that do make it that do make it out. Um, look, it, it, it's it's that balance though, and and um, for some of the fines, you could say that 
you know, certain countries just have an, uh, you know, unbelievable ability to find, and other countries don't, and yet it's the same egregious behavior. Mm. Um, so there is uh, not always a, 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 a common metric there to actually be looking at. Um, what we do definitely want to see, though, and support is you know proper functioning markets, um, and and you know that the consumer and the corporates uh, are are being treated fairly uh, as customers, um, you know, and that's just good business. Period. Great. Um, so, I fear that we're running out of time. So, what I'd like to move on to now is our Risky Women Rants and Revelations. So we'd like to start with, what's one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? I think the, the thing that I would always sit there and say is, is you know, keep, keep aiming high. Um, you know, as I learn more and more uh, and get more senior, uh, I am always struck that, um, you know, women, need to be more positive and confident about their abilities. They have to go for it, even if they don't have all of the things covered uh, on the requirements, because um, people can do it and they can deliver it. And I spend a lot of time you know, coaching um, uh, and mentoring staff. And you know, I, I tell you, there's nothing better than actually convincing somebody to understand that they can do something. Absolutely, I agree. Confidence and I think sort of surrounding yourself by cheerleaders who can also tell you that you can do it is is really helpful. Um, And then what's your rant? What's the one thing that you really wish you could change now and why? I think uh, my rant would be, uh, you know, compliance is really interesting (laughs) and and it's not a bad thing Uh, and and yet there's so, you know, I hate to tell you like how many like cocktail party jokes there are about, um, you know, compliance. So, so yes, that would be my my rant. (laughs) Well, you're probably preaching to the choir of the people listening to this, so very good. Um, okay, so our rapid fire round. Punchy answers to killer questions. What one word sums up the world of governance, risk and compliance from your perspective? Technology. What's your top risk for 2018? Accountability. And the cure for the cost of compliance? Oh, regtech fintech. <laughs> <laughs> Biggest technology impact on compliance and risk? Client onboarding. And your outlook for the year ahead, optimistic, pessimistic, uncertain? Optimistic. Thank you very much, Barbara, for being our risky woman today. It was fabulous to gain a few insights from you and we look forward to seeing you at our next events. Thanks very much for Thomson Reuters and the invitation. Absolutely delighted. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this exciting episode of Risky Women Radio to connect, champion and celebrate women in risk regulation and compliance. I'm Kimberly Cole, based in Hong Kong. For more information on the Risky Women Global Network, head to our website in the episode notes and please be part of the ongoing conversation by subscribing to this podcast, connecting with us on Twitter or even reaching out to me directly by email.